Welcome back to the Women's Wellness Podcast by the Women's Wellness Research Collaborative, a podcast where we talk about women's health needs throughout every stage of life. From young women through to midlife women, women's health after a cancer diagnosis, and women who are living with type 2 diabetes. On this podcast, you'll hear from some of the world's leading researchers and clinicians in women's health. I'm Professor Deborah Anderson, the founder and director of the Women's Wellness Research Collaborative, and also the Dean of the Faculty of Health at the University of Technology, Sydney, Australia. I've spent my career dedicated to helping women be the best they can be. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Professor Sandy Hayes from Griffith University in Queensland, and Vicki Graham, the director of True North Wellness in Brisbane. Professor Hayes is an exercise physiologist, senior research fellow and group lead of the Healthy Lifestyles Group within the Menzies Health Institute, Queensland. Her program of research seeks to improve the understanding of cancer survivorship with a particular focus on cancer-related lymphedema, as well as the role physical activity, including exercise, plays in preventing and alleviating cancer-related burden. My second guest is Vicki Graham the Director of True North Wellness and Exercise and Health Clinic in Brisbane. Vicky is an accredited exercise physiologist and has been working in the health and fitness industry for more than 30 years, supporting people with specialist medical conditions, including osteoporosis, cancer and chronic disease. Welcome, Sandy and Vicky. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Deborah. We are so very fortunate to have these world-class leading researchers and clinicians here to talk to us about exercise. And before we go into exercise and cancer, what we'd like to know is, we all know that exercise and moving our bodies is really good for us, but what is a healthy level of exercise that most of us should be aiming to achieve each week, Vicky? Yeah, that's actually a really good question because I think it's it's something we think everybody knows, but when we ask this question to people, it's, it's often we get quite a lot of varied answers. So really the recommended guidelines, uh, Deb, is 150 minutes of moderate exercise. And moderate, we talk about being that huff and puff exercise. So we're getting a little bit of puff, but we can still have a conversation. So that's about two and a half hours a week. If we pick that up and we go a little bit more vigorous, that actually decreases to about an 75 minutes. So about an hour and a quarter. So that's that type of level of exercise where we can't have a conversation because we're puffing too much. So that's that aerobic type of activity. But the other guidelines that's really important is that muscle strengthening exercise and that's often the exercise that we we don't think as much about or that people aren't doing as much and that's twice a week so that might be doing some weight training it might be some body weight exercise or really some uh, heavy gardening or carrying sort of activity so that's really what the australian guidelines focus on them what are the benefits then of achieving this level of exercise and movement well, the benefits are endless. We know it's both physical and mental, but really these benefits carry through to our cardiovascular health and definitely, you know, metabolic with decreased incidence of diabetes. But it's also our bone and muscle health that, that we definitely are getting benefits from. Certainly increasing those energy levels are important, which um, can help with improvements in sleep. 
And it's also improving our brain health. So decreasing risks of depression, anxiety. And I think they're often the underrated benefits that, that we know we have. And it's that classic quote that, you know, is my favourite. You know, if exercise could be packaged as a pill, it'd be the most single, widely prescribed and beneficial pill in the world. The benefits are endless, Deb. So Sandy, you know, we hear that it's beneficial. We can hear all of the good things that exercise does for us and sort of what we should be doing. Why is it then that we're not all doing it? Yeah, the big issue is it's not as simple as popping a pill. So it actually requires conscious effort, planning, identifying before your week begins, when you're going to do what and how. So it really actually requires concerted effort and planning to be able to hit the kind of levels that ultimately have been associated with the benefits that Vicky is, has just spoken about. It's not easy um, and I don't think any of us should pretend that it is an easy thing to do. There are a small group of the population who love exercising, you know, and will be quite excited about getting up in, of, of the morning and exercising. But I would say that it's for the vast majority that that actually probably prefer to be not doing exercise, doing something else. And that that in turn is influences that it isn't easy, that it is actually something that is tricky to make sure that we do and that we are lifelong exercisers. Yeah, well, while we're on that, you know, many of our listeners are women. And I know, Sandy, a lot of your research has been conducted looking at women. With these busy lives, families and work commitments, how can they fit it all in? I would actually say you can't probably fit it all in. And this is about making conscious lifestyle choices based on what you value and and what you want. Vicky just mentioned that our Australian guidelines suggest that, you know, to ultimately get the benefits through physical activity, which includes planned exercise, we're talking about two and a half hours a week. And so ultimately you actually have to try and find two and a half hours within your week to exercise. There's no getting around that. Now, there's definitely things you can do to try and optimise some of your time in a way that can help you incorporate exercise. So, for example, if you know that you spend 30 minutes every day talking to a particular person, you might actually plan to walk while you're talking to that person. Or if you know that you routinely watch 30 minutes of television, maybe it's the, the nightly news, that maybe that's where you will plan to exercise while watching the news. So there's definitely things that you can do to optimise your time. You might get out of bed 30 minutes earlier and go to bed 30 minutes earlier and you just shift what you do within the hours that you're awake. But really the point is we can't fit it all in and it is about making conscious decisions and planning when during your day and week that you'll actually do concerted aerobic and resistance exercise. Vicky, what have you found some of the ways that uh, women can incorporate exercise into their daily routine, you know, without adding that extra hour to our commute or morning routines, essentially? Yeah, Deb, that's the big question, isn't it? If we solve that one, you know, we're all going to be moving more. But I think it's also changing our perspective of what exercise needs to look like. And we do know that breaking that 30 minutes up into three lots of 10 minutes can also give us benefits. And 
that's a really bit of a mind shift for people when we talk about that with them because they might be able to slot 10 minutes in of activity or movement in their day at another opportunity it may be you know putting some walking breaks in at work you know that simple you know parking further away using the stairs but it's also just looking for movement opportunities so it is a little bit of a mind shift to go i may not have a block of 30 minutes or, or an hour to exercise, but I might be able to slot in 10 minutes of movement at another part of the day. And I do find that when we start to break it down into smaller chunks, it does become a little bit more manageable. You know, even looking at some of the, the strength exercise we're talking about, you know, some simple body weight exercises that might be anchored into some other activity, whether it's you put the kettle on and you might be doing some bodyweight squats or lunges or when we're cleaning your teeth, you know, certainly habit stacking with something that we're doing regularly, we have found to be useful for women when they have got these busy lives, which we all have. But it's definitely breaking it down can be a key component, Deb. You know, so I guess, you know, that's for women, but women who actually have cancer or a chronic disease, they have the additional trying to work out just what they're able to do and what they should do. I guess there's a lot of misinformation and information out there. So Vicky, your clinic, True North Wellness in Brisbane, supports women after cancer with the Women's Wellness After Cancer 12-week lifestyle program. What are some of the physical challenges that you've found that present after cancer treatment and how do you support women through this? It's certainly an individual journey for every woman, but there are some key areas that, that certainly present issues when it comes to increasing their exercise. Fatigue is a big one. Um, there's no doubt about it um, during and after treatment, helping women manage that fatigue. Um, pain is also a common issue, whether it's through uh, from treatment or surgery they've had associated with their cancer. And definitely muscle weakness and loss. That may be through treatment, you know, depending on hormone therapy that can certainly adjust metabolism and affect weight, uh, body composition. And it may also be from just general deconditioning because treatment may have involved three, six months for some people. So we do get a, a general deconditioning as well. So those, you know, are, are certainly some of the key areas that we're helping women manage. And, you know, really, Deb, it gets down to, you know, help educating them about some simple practices like pacing, which is really important when we're talking about fatigue, you know, helping women understand what pacing is and how that may navigate bringing exercise back into their life after treatment. Really talking to them about what graded exercise looks like. You know, a lot of the time these women are coming back and expecting to go back to the levels of activity pre-cancer diagnosis. So it's really helping them to look at, well, what is graded exercise and, and really helping them put a bit of a framework on how they can increase that as their body is tolerating. And we've got a range of different ways that we do that through, you know, some simple tracking of pain levels and, and certainly fatigue can help them, you know, understand what they can do um, at different levels, depending on what their levels of fatigue or, or pain they might be experiencing, Deb. You know, that pain and fatigue is a really big one. Sandy, what are some of the physical challenges that you've found present after cancer treatment and how should we support women through these from your perspective? 
Vicky mentioned fatigue, pain, a couple of these, but there's sleep concerns, cognitive changes, depression, anxiety, weight gain issues, lymphedema, ultimately cancer treatment related side effects um, are vast and varied and the type of the side effects and their severity is typically influenced by things such as the type of cancer you've had, your age, your pre-existing health condition before you were diagnosed with cancer, your past history with exercise are just some of the factors that would influence the type and the severity of the treatment related side effect. These side effects present as barriers to exercise. So when we're talking with people who've had cancer, they have the same barriers that everyone else has in terms of they're too busy, trying to find the time, they get bored. Those barriers are still there, but they have these additional barriers coming through from their treatment-related side effects. But these side effects also present as motivators to a certain extent because we know from the research that if we integrate exercise during and following cancer treatment, we can reduce the number of the side effects that people experience and we can reduce the severity while concurrently improving things like fitness, function, body composition, quality of life. And there's also potential that we may be able to influence the length of life, so survival. So these treatment-related side effects really are both barriers, but also clear reasons as to why someone may try and prioritise exercise more than what they managed to do before their cancer diagnosis. It is a really complicated thing, I think, post-cancer for women. Vicky, what do you think a uh, safe post-cancer exercise routine might look like with respect, of course, that each person is on their own personal recovery journey? Certainly getting support is, is really important for these women after their treatment because, you know, they're navigating a lot of information and navigating a lot of, you know, symptoms that, that Sandy's talked about. So certainly getting support from, you know, an accredited exercise physiologist is really the key because we can assess where they're at and, and meet them at that particular level. Certainly, you know, we'd be encouraging them to start with some simple aerobic activity. You know, this may involve some walking, but it's also, as I said, looking at, at a graded level. So it may be looking at, you know, starting at 10 minutes walk and slowly building that up as their fatigue levels are tolerating or, or depending on pain levels that they might be managing. But we'd really be looking at um, helping them bring in some type of strength muscle building activity as well. A lot of the time, these women have never done any type of this type of exercise before. So it is new for, for them. So, you know, it might be helping them, you know, lay some foundations with some core strength or stabilizing sort of exercises as well. So really bringing in some simple body weight exercises, whether it's using a resistance band or, or just their body weight, as I said, and just getting them comfortable with what their body can do. So it's increasing that confidence, I think, is a really key component of what we're doing with women at this stage. The other type of exercise we really tend to encourage as well is what we call restorative exercise. So, you know, these women have been through a lot. There's often high stress levels. So really bringing in some type of mindfulness exercise, whether that might be yoga, might be some breath work, but incorporating into 
what they're already doing can really help them manage these stress levels as well. And we found that to be really helpful then. It's so important, I think, for women who have cancer to have an accredited exercise physiologist who actually is using the evidence-based, the stuff that uh, Sandy produces, to actually put into practice around what types of exercise uh, they might do. Sandy, your research focuses on the role physical activity plays in preventing and alleviating cancer-related burden. Can you tell us a bit more about your research and some of the current studies you and your team are leading? So I started exploring the role of exercise in the prevention and treatment of cancer-related burden at a time when most patients were told by their doctors to go home, take it easy and and rest. And we have now over 20 years of, of evidence that consistently tells us that too much rest or more specifically the absence of planned exercise is much more likely to exacerbate cancer-related burden during and following treatment for cancer. And so the work that I've done has contributed to that evidence base. It's been particularly focused on understanding what is the cancer-related burden experienced in particular by, by women who are diagnosed with cancer and exploring to what extent can ex- exercise reduce that burden and also contribute to prevention of of chronic disease in the future, improvements in overall quality of life, and whether exercise can improve survival. My more recent trials have shifted in terms of their focus towards women with cancers that are associated with poorer prognosis compared with our more common cancers such as breast cancer. And my shift in focus has been because we have such compelling evidence in particular for women with breast cancer that it has really become unequivocal that exercise, we know exercise is good for women with breast cancer. We know that we can get them exercising and we have very clear evidence to demonstrate the benefit that comes from that during their treatment and beyond their treatment. Where the evidence starts to fall down a little bit is for those women diagnosed with cancers that are associated with poorer prognosis, such as women with ovarian cancer. Women with ovarian cancer typically are diagnosed at later stage and as a consequence receive much more intensive and invasive treatment. And so there becomes questions as to whether these women can actually, is is exercise safe and feasible during treatment for these women? And if it is safe and feasible, can it lead to benefit? And so my largest trial that's ongoing at the moment um, involves or will involve 500 women with ovarian cancer, and we are set to answer the question for these women, to what extent can exercise benefit? And while I don't have the answer with respect to benefit for women with ovarian cancer yet, I can say that we've had over 200 women participate in our exercise intervention to date and we're demonstrating that exercise is safe for these women and that they can actually do it during treatment for chemotherapy. And that's an important first step in what we're evaluating. Sandy, so what sort of exercise are you using with these women? What's the exercise treatment that you're talking about? Yeah, so it's actually in line with what Vicky has highlighted. So we know from the cancer uh, exercise oncology literature that exercise targets or the physical activity targets is probably a better way of describing it is actually the same as it is for the general population. So we want to try and get people with cancer participating in 150 minutes of moderate intensity mixed mode exercise. The mixed mode is is about doing aerobic and resistance exercise. 
So that's our target. But we know that not every woman can meet that target from the start of the intervention. So we start slow and progress slow, always aiming to get to that target. For some women, they may get there very quickly, as in within the first month of doing the intervention. For other women, they never get there. So it's very individualised. And the key factor that we use to help us guide with whether we've got the dosage right, the dosage of exercise, exercise right, is what's happening with their symptoms. So exercise, we know, should not worsen cancer-related symptoms. If symptoms are worsening, then either we've got the exercise prescription wrong or it's a signal for women to go back to their healthcare team to explore what's going on. So symptom control, symptom measurement and monitoring is really key to ensure that you've got your exercise dosage about right. Yes and, and you know we know that women are not in the olden days cancer diagnosis was a, a death sentence so to speak but now women are living with cancer for a very very long time and so you know this is such important research that we need to be able to work with such a lot of women who have these cancers. Uh, I saw that you recently published the findings from a study that looked at the role of exercise in the prevention and treatment of cancer-related lymphedema. What are some of these key findings from this study and what is cancer-related lymphedema for our audience? Okay, so cancer-related lymphedema is one of several side effects people can uh, develop or experience as a consequence of cancer treatment. The people most at risk of developing cancer-related lymphedema are those whose treatment involves removal of lymph nodes and typically removal of five or more lymph nodes. That relates to cancers like breast cancer, prostate cancer, melanoma, gynecological cancers, head and neck cancers. Cancer-related lymphedema is ultimately swelling of an area. So for women with breast cancer, that might be swelling of the arm, breast or trunk. Whereas women with gynecological cancer that have had lymph nodes removed, that might relate to swelling of the legs or the pelvis or the genital area. So we uh, recently completed and published a meta-analysis that pulled together all the findings from exercise trials that have been conducted to assess the effect of exercise on the prevention of lymphedema, as well as the treatment of lymphedema. And we did this actually because relatively recently, about 2018-19, the international exercise oncology guidelines were updated. And in those guidelines, it suggested that we only have enough evidence to support resistance exercise in the treatment of lymphedema and that it didn't necessarily lead to benefit uh, with respect to lymphedema, but that it could help with symptom control. And I looked at this and thought, well, I would have thought our evidence base has actually progressed further than that. And so we went and specifically dug into the entire evidence base that relates to exercise and lymphedema. And what we found is that when you pull all this evidence together, there's clear findings that support exercise can actually prevent lymphedema for those most at risk. So that is those people have who have five or more lymph nodes removed. So that's really important because these are the people that would be least likely to participate in exercise out of fear that exercise may in fact develop lymphedema. So we've been able to demonstrate uh, by pulling the findings from all these studies together that the reverse happens, exercise can actually prevent lymphedema. 
For those with lymphedema, they fear lymphedema getting worse. Lymphedema is considered a chronic condition. It's associated with declines in fitness, function, quality of life. It's really costly and time consuming to treat. So anyone who has lymphedema is quite concerned about it getting worse. The findings from this review demonstrated that actually exercise, there were trends towards benefit of lymphedema. It wasn't supported statistically, so it, it reduces the confidence in our ability to say exercise can treat lymphedema. So we're not there yet, but there's definite trends in benefits to lymphedema. But what's really important is that people with lymphedema are able to accrue clear benefits in terms of improvements in quality of life, function and fitness, things that they typically have lower levels of compared to people without lymphedema. So exercise is really important for people with lymphedema. That sounds fabulous research and we know that it's absolutely world-class and cutting edge. Vicky, you hear about these outcomes of these studies. How, how do you incorporate the findings from these sorts of studies into your clinical practice at uh, True North Wellness? Well, Deb, as an evidence-based practitioner, this is, you know, paramount on, on how we prescribe. So, you know, hearing Sandy's findings with lymphedema, because it's an area that's, that's often, like uh, Sandy said, stops women, you know, with fear of, of it getting worse. So we do a happy dance when we hear this sort of research coming through Sandy, and obviously that's why you're doing it. But it allows us to, to give these women, you know, good quality information to be able to make informed decisions on, on what is right for them. And I think that's what it gets down to. Um, there's a lot of information floating around for these women and to be able to um, give them the, the evidence and they can make these decisions for themselves. So, no, it's, it's really important, Deb. As we wrap up here, Vicky, could you give us your top three take-home messages for women doing exercise? And we'll get Sandy to do them for women doing exercise after cancer. Yeah, certainly. I think we've talked a lot about guidelines, Deb, but I think it's just start moving in any shape or form and forget about the amount or the intensity, but just move more. I think it's about keeping it fun, doing something that they enjoy, whether that might be dancing or, or walking with friends, but keep it fun. I think that's really important. And it's also about variety, you know, putting a variety of different types of activities just keeps us engaged and, and as I said, makes it fun. I just need to echo what Vicky said for women with cancer. It is all about starting slow, progressing slow. More is generally better than less. Maybe the key difference for women with cancer compared to women without cancer is symptom control. Pay attention to your symptoms. And if symptoms are getting worse, back it off a little bit. And if they're still worse, use that as a sign to go back to your medical team to explore what's happening. But in the interim, don't just stop doing exercise. It, it is really important to, to keep moving. Thanks so much, Vicky and Sandy. Today, I've been speaking on the podcast with Professor Sandy Hayes from Griffith University and Vicky Graham, the Director of True North Wellness in Queensland. Thank you so much for being part of our Women's Wellness Research Collaborative podcast today. You've been listening to the Women's Wellness podcast series from the Women's Wellness Research Collaborative. You can find us at wellnessresearch.org.au.